Hello and welcome to the second episode of season 2 of Chipping Away. Your host Akash Indurka will take you on the journey of South Asia, its art, history, archaeology, anthropology, so on and so forth. Thank you all for your wonderful response to our season opener that looked at various aspects of women and femininity in the past. And based on your reactions, we decided just for you, our wonderful listeners, to make another episode on a similar theme. So in this episode, you might find that there are themes that are familiar with the last one, which we'll build upon. So if you've not heard the first episode, go check it out. We'll also be looking at various other aspects of women and femininity in the past. So where do we start? Okay, definitely not on the tongue twister. Why not? Do you know the answer to this question? How much wood can a wood chuck chuck if a wood chuck wood chuck wood? Oh God, I don't want to attempt. Well, the answer always is as much ground a groundhog could hog if a groundhog could hog ground. Fun fact, a woodchuck and a groundhog are the same animal. Ooh, I really didn't know these were the same animals. Do you know how they found out? Genetics. You know, everything in life is made on genes. Not the blue genes that you like, but the DNA genes that are deep in your cells. And it is through these genes we can trace our descent. So in any living cell or organism, you have two types of DNA. The nuclear DNA that's in the nucleus of the cell and then the mitochondrial DNA that is in the small little organs that float around in the cell body. These organs are the powerhouses of the cell and generate all the power that a cell needs to do what a cell does. Genes that are in your system have two sources, your mother and your father. So the nuclear DNA is made of two sets of genes, one inherited from your mother and the other from your father. The mitochondrial DNA on the other hand just has the genes from your mother and it is through this we can trace the descent of all the mothers that we've ever had. So using this DNA, scientists have been able to find out when our oldest mother was, like our mother's 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 mother. And this group of women which lived about 150 to 200,000 years ago is who we call mitochondrial Eve. So mitochondrial Eve is not one person but a group of women who are the source of all the mitochondrial DNA that currently exist. That doesn't mean other mothers didn't exist or other mothers that were older than them didn't exist. It's just that we don't have remains of their presence in our DNA. And it's not just the traces from the genetic record that are lost. but we have lost innumerable pages from history and a wealth of information from the archaeological record but on the other hand there are also some records that speak about illustrious queens in the past that have come down to us or let's say trickled down to us through various nooks and crannies of the historical and archaeological record now yes there have been attempts of systematic erasure of those like in case of queen hatshepsut in egypt or queen razia sultana in the delhi sultanate that we touched upon in our last episode but there is another brighter side to it as well so my favorite queen for instance queen naganika of the satkarni line from western india happens to be one of the illustrious queens one that we know of for sure we know of queen naganika from her inscription in nanighat in one of the most used trade passes that connected the then mainland deccan with the coastal ports in this inscription in brahmi script queen naganika gives an account of her illustrious family that of the satkarnis or satvahanas and mentions 
the sacrifices performed by her husband satkarni one she also gives a brief review of her family her children and we get to know about her position as the regent queen in the satvahana domain so nagarika who thrived around the 1st century bce is not the only queen that we know through archaeological record there are also some excellent coin issues from queen didda in kashmir didda was the daughter of king simharaj the king of lohara and she ruled over punjab and kashmir about 1000 years ago initially as a queen regent and then as an independent ruler didda's coins with the inscription of her name are one of the enduring markers of her short but able reign and queens have been present not just in south asia but in dynasties and empires from all over the world everybody knows of cleopatra and how her charms and beauty brought in emperors and empires from all over the world to her knees be it julius caesar or mark antony she was the last pharaoh of egypt and she tried to build an alliance with the roman empire to ensure the egyptian kingdom survived first with julius caesar and after his assassination with mark antony unfortunate turn of events led to her death being the end of the kingdom of egypt and its long line of succession of empires another one of these important pharaohs in the past was nefertiti the bust of whom you can see in germany so nefertiti was the queen of akhenaten one of the first kings in egypt to move away from a pantheon of multiple gods to worship one single god nefertiti was also the stepmother of king tutankhamun also known as king tut and it is interesting to look back on the female monarchs or pharaohs and how history remembers them so in case of cleopatra for example her femininity is used as her being a temptress rather than head of state or her interaction with the romans is described no less of an exercise in temptation while completely ignoring the socio political situation of the time and it is this complex socio political environment that also led some of the queens to actually veil themselves or mask themselves or go incognito rudrama devi for instance whom i mentioned in the last episode disguised herself as a man or a male monarch for a sizable period of time during her reign so she ruled from about 1262 to 1289 common era in modern day telangana and andhra pradesh and because at the time a female ruler was looked upon as a weak or a fragile head of state she had to disguise herself as a man to assert her political power in the region and that period which was riddled with a lot of shifting political conditions and threat from various regions to telangana and the kakatiya throne and in that situation of political turmoil she took on the name as rudradev instead of rudrama devi and it was only later that she came out to people and introduced herself anew as the queen of kakatiya dynasty rudrama devi and she has been since celebrated in the annals of history or even in popular media form of films and tv and her contribution thankfully has been recorded in various facets of historical and archaeological data so we have royal charters decrees in the name of rudrama devi and rudradev but instances of these are rare this again 
has deeper roots, especially when we look at it through the lens of the current society. This is important in the context of the present because it is the archaeologists of the present who are using their interpretation to understand the previous archaeological records. So, any biases in the present will definitely problematize our understanding of the past. Take for example, human burials. While the human skeleton has clear distinctive signs to say if it is male or female, burials themselves cannot. When burials are found with weapons such as swords, knives, shields, they are interpreted as being belonging to warriors and therefore men without ever studying the human skeletal remains. When people re-study these burials and investigate the skeletal record, they realize that, oh and behold, it's actually a woman. They had women warriors, they had women fighters, be it the Vikings, be it Central Asia, be it China, a lot of burials of warriors which were misinterpreted as basically men because of the presence of weapons turn out to be women with weapons. And I think we have a similar example from China, uh, the tomb of Lady Dai, which was unearthed in 1972 in the Hunan province. And because it was very well embellished and the casket was painted in gilded gold with a lot of paraphernalia, funerary objects, even a funerary banner, the archaeologists initially assumed that it belonged to a male or a male general. But it was only after further investigation that they realized it belonged to Lady Dai, who was one of the illustrious members. The funerary banner that accompanied Lady Dai, for instance, was one of the most important discoveries of funerary objects, because that banner not only stressed the importance of her in the Dai family, but also stressed how important she was in the neighboring society or in that particular kingdom in Hunan province. So yes, first impression of an embellished casket was rather misleading as being categorized as a burial belonging to a man that turned out to be that for a woman. Sometimes this bias doesn't even need any accompanying objects. For example, everybody knows that there is one prehistoric fossil specimen in India that that was found in Hatnora in the Narmada Valley. While everybody refers to that skeleton as Narmada man, analysis shows that it's actually a woman. And the misidentification of women in terms of skeleton or skeletal remains does not stop there. It extends to the role of women in the society and how their perception exists through the page of history. The discussion is not just around males, females, male bodies, female bodies and their representation, but it goes a little further as well. So how the society is really adapted, accommodated, Sexes and genders, in addition to the male-female binary, is also a grey area that needs to be investigated more, at least in the context of South Asian archaeology. That's true. And it all starts with how we look at ourselves and our social structures. We as archaeologists owe it to the past to be as unbiased as we can and not project our present-day misconceptions onto those of the past. So thank you for tuning in. For our second episode of season two and if you haven't caught up with our season one please go back and check out all the fabulous 15 episodes we had for season one and follow us on twitter and instagram at chippinawayind and send us a line on our email address at chippinawayind 
at gmail.com. We now also have elaborated blog posts on all the things you heard on this episode if you're interested in following up further. We also have started a newsletter that you can subscribe to. So don't forget to drop us a line at chippinawayind at gmail.com. So we'll see you again in a matter of 15 days. So till then, keep chipping away. Bye-bye.